1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast which, as you know, brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Dr. Duncan Castles. Today, we've got a very, very busy schedule for you in what has been a seismic week in football. We're not going to start though with the European Super League because there's a man you just can't keep out of the news, even when the world of football is in some kind of crisis. That man, of course, is Jose Mourinho, uh, someone who Duncan knows well. Duncan, you have news on where his next destination might be in management, which given people have been predicting that his career might be over, seems to be contradictory to that particular opinion. And of course, one of the clubs is right on our doorstep as well.
0: Yeah, look, we had a little discussion with, with Roger Mitchell on on that last podcast we did about the Super League, um, about Jose Mourinho being dismissed by Tottenham, the reasons for it, and uh, and Roger's recommendation that uh, Jose step away from football altogether at this stage. And, and I think... The listeners remember that I said um, I did not expect him to do that. He was very keen to get back to work, if not immediately, although not ruling out immediately, Um, certainly next season. He has been handling approaches and offers um, since that dismissal. Uh, My information is that the first of those approaches came from Celtic football club who are in need of uh, significant managerial change and in need of a uh, change of fortune um, to uh, get themselves back on top of the heap in, in Scotland after Stephen Gerrard um, guided Rangers to the, the Scottish title by a significant margin. My understanding is that his response to that approach was to tell Celtic, I'm not ready to, to coach now. Um, there have been other offers um, a significant one has come in Spain, where Valencia are today, I'm told, in the process of negotiating with um, one of Mourinho's representatives, that he come in as the successor to Javi Gracia, who uh, they recently sacked as coach. At the Spanish end, there is a belief that um, those talks are very serious and there is a good chance that Mourinho will accept the position. It's an interesting one because Valencia are in a bad financial state, um, have not been well organised over the last few years under Peter Lim, currently 14th in La Liga. Gracia took that job knowing that uh, players would be sold and that he would have to um do a very uh, intense bit of managerial and coaching work, something that he was not scared of doing and something that he was, you remember did very successfully at Watford um, during his uh, initial time there. But well, as soon as he got into the job, even more players were sold out from under him than he had expected. So looking at it from the outside, I would say that is a, quite a challenging position for Mourinho to take, who will want to demonstrate his qualities and prove people wrong. Uh, to go into a club so far down La Liga with a, with a difficult um, cadre of players uh, to make competitive against Barcelona and Real Madrid and Atletico, who, of course, are, are licking their wounds from their uh, strong pursuit of the Super League and, and that being knocked back um, by football and, and the project having to kind of, well, in Florentino Perez's words, it's not over, but it is suspended. The third club I have heard have approached Mourinho and whom he would be interested in pursuing uh, that discussion with is AS Roma. Um, You'll remember we had Aurelio Capaldi on the podcast uh, this time last week and uh, a discussion about where um, the... Roma were, under their um, relatively new American owners, the the Friedkin family, um, that they did not have a great deal of confidence in Paulo Fonseca and had actually made moves um, to talk directly to coaches about taking over from him during the season, one of those coaches being Max Allegri. Um, Fonseca, of course, has managed to take Roma to the semi-finals of the Europa League, where they'll play Manchester United but is in grave danger of missing out on Champions League football from uh, their league position. They're currently seventh, 10 points behind Juventus, who themselves are under immense pressure to hang on to uh, a, a place in a competition that as of Sunday, they were trying to get themselves out of um, for a more lucrative uh, place to play European football. Um, Aurelio told you that Fonseca has in his contract a clause that if he qualifies them for the Champions League uh, by finishing in the top four, he cannot be dismissed. So extra compensation would have to be paid by Roma if they were to decide to uh, get rid of him regardless of, of achieving that target. It's clear that Fonseca's future at Roma is in doubt and this is a, an ownership group that want to get them back into the Champions League, get them competing at the, the top of Italian Football, um, who are prepared to make um, quite radical changes to the way the club operates and the opportunity to hire a manager whose status in Italy remains extremely high. Uh, he is still the only coach to have won the treble of Coppa Italia, Serie A, and Champions League as a as coach of an Italian club, regardless of Juventus's um, amazing superiority in Italian football in recent years. And uh, as um, Roger Mitchell said in the podcast, is still revered in that country. So I think of the European leagues where Mourinho has worked so far, um, Italy is, I think, the easiest one for him to go back to. And uh, should the right proposal present itself, um, the most likely of the destinations of those, of those clubs who have been in touch with him since he was dismissed by Tottenham. Um, to come in and work next season. Additional bit of information I have on t- in terms of his cost is that the the uh, compensation package that was included in his contract at Tottenham, which we told you several weeks ago, was not um, the full remaining value of his contract until twenty twenty three, as had been generally reported in the English press, but was actually a uh, defined. Um, clause which would result in Tottenham paying less money, uh, far less money than that, should they take the decision to dismiss. That package, I'm told, is one in which Tottenham are liable for his salary for one year um, and that his his salary be maintained at the level determined in the Tottenham contract. So were he to take a job elsewhere and the, the pay at the new job be less than the pay on his Tottenham contract, Tottenham will have to make up the balance uh, until for, until one year after they dismissed him, which of course gives him more leeway to negotiate a higher net salary at whichever club he goes to.
1: Josie, on the cheap, there's a sentence we never thought we'd hear, um, but apparently that would might be the case given... Tottenham's debt to him should he take a job with a lesser salary in his next position. Bit of a curveball this one but it shouldn't be Duncan. With Hansi Flick leaving Bayern Munich and Julian Nagelsmann interested in the Spurs job, why would Bayern not go for Jose
0: Mourinho? I think it's a job that Mourinho has looked at in the past. I think it's a difficult territory for him to work in because he doesn't have, um, command of the language. He's always been on top of the language in whichever country he's worked in. In fact, I think there's an argument that he is a better communicator in English, a second language to him than pretty much every coach who has, um, Who's operating in the Premier League at the moment that's not to say he's grammatically perfect but his way of uh, of expressing a message is such that uh, it it, uh, it captures um the the meaning and uh, and uh, transmits better than than most others so if you take that ability away from him and Yes, when he went to Italy for the first time, he, he, he had a crash course in Italian to ensure that he was fluent and able to take his debut press conference in uh, the Italian language and, um, and not stumble and in fact be extremely impressive. I don't think you can do that um, with German. It's just it's so much further away from Portuguese um, than Spanish is. Than Italian is that French, which is another language that he he's uh, accomplished in, is, and does interviews in. So, and I think also you have the element of um, Bayern are going to be more careful about making such an appointment. Um, you're, I think you're right to mention Nagelsmann in the context of Bayern, and I think that's the, the certainly an issue for Tottenham in that Nagelsmann's representative had been pushing him as a replacement for. Mourinho, um, for several months, something we reported first on on this podcast, um, he looked to be the clear um, number one candidate, um, Tottenham were interested in him, but subsequently Hansi Flick has uh, stated that he will be leaving Bayern at the end of the season because of a conflict with the director of football. If that happens, Bayern need a top-level replacement, and Nagelsmann uh, has uh, emerged as a strong candidate for that job. So the question is, if you're uh, Julian Nagelsman and you have the choice between Tottenham um, and Bayern Munich at this stage in your career, which one do you go for? And I think the more likely option is Bayern.
1: Yeah, I think uh, as well, Duncan, that Bayern Munich have a tradition of being. Very conservative club with a small c. Uh, they don't like to have uh, coaches who are hot-headed or who will begin conflict or confrontation, whether it be with other managers, players, or indeed the administrators of football. And perhaps Josie doesn't quite fit
0: into that
1: particular identity for a Bayern Munich manager.
0: Well, I think you've also... Got to note that at Bayern it's important for them to control transfers and control recruitment. Um, and Nagelsmann, who has been working at Leipzig, uh, a club where recruitment is absolutely central, a, an organisation where recruitment is absolutely central to them achieving success on the pitch. He is accustomed to that structure where the club determines who which players should be brought in and he goes about coaching them in the best way so that, that, again, that's a smoother transition um, than taking Mourinho for the the Bayern job. And so to
1: the story of the week, perhaps, it will be the story of this year in football uh, and that is, of course, the European Super League and the fallout from it. Uh, one of the casualties, one of the first casualties of this particular mini conflict is Ed Woodward, Manchester United's executive uh, vice chairman, who this week uh, said he was stepping down, which of course is a euphemism for being sacked or resigning. And uh, then putting uh, a briefing out that the reason he was doing it is because he couldn't uh, believe in the European Super League project, a project Duncan. As we know, he had been at the forefront of both creating, uh, structuring, and then delivering for over two years. So, in terms of um, bad faith, that's quite a lot of confession that he needs to go to, uh, to get rid of that particular sin. Um, but the sin of then pretending that he's leaving Manchester United was a direct result of the Glazers' desire to be in European Super so League seems to be rather strange. It's our information that Woodward uh, has a one-year rolling contract. So the fact that he's stepping down at the end of this year means that he's working out his notice, which, of course, will pay him around £1.7 million, something, of course, he also doesn't want to miss out on. However, Manchester United are already in the process of looking for a new chief executive to take Woodward's place. There is a temptation to appoint from within. But also, we understand... Uh, The Glazers and other executive members of the board think that perhaps in order to rebuild the trust with the fans which Joe Glazer was talking about during his very flimsy apology for the upset caused by the ESL project, it may be better to bring in someone who is associated with Manchester United or at least associated with football but also knows the business itself. Duncan, what did you make of Edward Ward's, uh behaviour uh, at the beginning of this week and what does it mean for his successor uh, who has a hell of a mess to clean up with regards to fans breaking into the training ground, protesting outside the
0: stadium and demanding the Glazers leave? Well, I'd love to see Edward Woodward come on television or sit down with a newspaper journalist and say that he resigned in over principle that he was against the Super League and as um, Gary Lineker, of all people, put it um, yesterday, he said that, I understand, brackets, know that Edward Woodward resigned on Monday because he leaves in the football pyramid. So I'd, I'd like to hear that come from Ed Woodward's mouth instead of being briefed by people close to him, that uh, he'd done he'd resigned his position out of principle and that the, the Super League was something that he objected to. It runs contrary, I think, to uh, to his entire career at Manchester United. It certainly runs contrary to his career history in general, given that his uh, former employer, JP Morgan, uh, were the bank uh, sorting out the uh, loans on which the Super League was going to be established and which clubs like Manchester United and Real Madrid were going to receive hundreds of millions of initial um, payments uh, for joining that league uh, to allow them supposedly to invest in infrastructure, but uh, realistically for most of those clubs to uh, kick off another round of, of big transfer spending. Um, I can tell you that talking to people who have been involved in the discussions on establishment of the Super League, and we know that this was done at a very high level in, in, in these clubs, principally with owners and senior executives that many people, including coaches, um, including football directors, you have Paolo Maldini at Milan talking about he, that he did not know this was coming out until Sunday. Um, you have Pep Guardiola and others um, talking about the same thing. Woodward, I'm told by people who were directly involved in these discussions, and these discussions have been going on for years, was intimately involved in the process, in the, the construction process. So as I say, I'd like to hear it on record from him. Um, It's an interesting decision for the Glazers, what they do now, because they have an opportunity to radically restructure the way they run the club. Um, Any regular listener to the podcast will know that one of our criticisms of Manchester United um, and of Ed Woodward is that Uh, The board, the executive board of Manchester United does not have a single individual on it who had worked in football at another club before they were made directors of Manchester United. No external experience. Woodward himself, a former investment banker and chartered accountant who aided the Glazers on the takeover, was brought in to work with them once they bought the club. Um, very successful in devising a commercial strategy and the chosen successor when David Gill decided to resign um, at the same time as Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Um, he surrounded himself by people who also um, have no experience of football and the Glazers themselves have a very limited circle in which they work in. They, they basically, um, when it comes to club decisions, talk to their own executives and do not communicate with agents um with people outside football so they they kind of built themselves into this this system where there was a lack of expertise a lack of um knowledge of how the football ecosystem works and an arrogance in, in the the way they felt manchester united's massive financial advantage would allow them to as in to put it in the words of one of woodward's favorite famous quotes when he was still talking to the media on a regular basis do things in the in the transfer market that other clubs couldn't imagine massive amount of money has been wasted because of that they're still in a repair process they will tell you edward will tell you that his his last brainchild, the cultural reboot, is, is about to take them back to the top of the Premier League and win titles again and allow them to compete at the summit of a Champions League competition that he was actively trying to get them out of just a few days ago. Um, Glazers therefore have a decision. Do they promote from within? Do they promote one of Woodward's allies, Richard Arnold? would be the obvious candidate, a Group uh, Managing Director, who is, I think it's fair to say, hugely unpopular with Manchester United supporters. I think you have Matt Judge, who uh, has that face-to-face link with agents and has been involved in contract discussions, although his actual authority to make things happen has been very limited. Again, a close friend of, of the Glazers. Do they promote one of those into that position, or do they go externally? And there will be lots of candidates interested in becoming chief executive of Manchester United if they feel that they have the authority to change things. The the people's favourite, the fans' favourite, the obvious external candidate is Edwin van der Sar, who has um, done a strong job at Ajax, has been open in stating his interest in returning to Manchester United in the future. Um, was proposed as their first director of football and actually told people close um, to him that he didn't want to come back in a director of football role. If he came back, it would be as chief executive because he hasn't been working as a director of football Acts He's been working as the person in charge of the club and that's where his expertise is. Um, I think none of this is planned, obviously. Um, The idea was to go into the Super League this summer with Woodward in charge, the botched announcement of the league, um, the way they lost the support of the German clubs by rushing the announcement has, uh, has changed the dynamic of, of, of I think pretty much everything in, in uh, senior football at the moment. And they don't just have a battle on their hands. In terms of how they restructure the executive tier of the club, and where they go with the with UEFA's Swiss system model, I think they also have a battle in their hand with the Premier League um, and the degree of punishment that will be inflicted upon them by the remaining fourteen clubs. I think Ian, you can tell us a bit about the debate within those uh, Premier League clubs about what should be done about the. I guess there's a dirty half dozen in, in, uh, when it comes to Premier League members.
1: Yeah, it's Duncan. Um, I've spoken to several people who were present in that meeting uh, of the 14 who did not get invites to the European Super League. And I'm told that the, at the beginning of the meeting, there was a lot of anger, uh, a lot of frustration. Um, there were several calls for points deduction. One of the most vehement of the protesters was West Ham United, who were adamant that points deduction was and a fine was the suitable way to deal with the Big Six for their
0: with the points deduction being implemented immediately, presumably of
1: of course, yes. (laughs) Given and then West Ham can can get into the competition which they were trying to get out of, Uh, but yes. They they weren't alone in considering points deduction. However, as things calmed down and uh, presided, of course, over by Chief uh, Chief Executive Richard Masters, Richard Scudamore, interestingly, was there for a short time as well, and uh, the ex-Chief Executive, uh, it began to become more rational. Um, The argument was put by two or three uh, Chief Executives of other clubs that a punch deduction would harm uh, the players and managers who actually had been instrumental in coming out in protest against the ESL. And of course, we saw that in Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Jordan Henderson's very strong-worded statement, along with several other players. Um, Jordan Henderson even organised a Zoom call between the captains of every Premier League club, uh, including the Big Six, uh, to try and find out exactly what their opinions were. And of course, Jordan Henderson's captain of a club who was uh, involved in the ESL and yet spoke so strongly against it. So uh, there has been this um, moral outrage, uh, which has been mirrored in the reaction of fans all over the country as well. And at the end uh, of that particular meeting, it was concluded that they should take some time out, take a step back, let the dust settle and meet within the next seven to ten days with the big six and discuss the correct punishments. But Richard Masters is in agreement with the 14 clubs that there should be penalties to be paid. Uh, one club uh, has suggested uh, seven-figure fines, which would be, are unprecedented in English football for the clubs, with the money then being donated to charities Some associated with football, like the Dementia Trust, Uh, obviously that's a big issue in football at the moment, uh, as well as children's charities uh, and others, uh, therefore giving the the Premier League some decent PR in the wake of the um, misapplication of judgment of their six most uh, financially well-off members. So... There there will be repercussions, that's for sure. There will be punishment, that's for sure. Points deduction, I would say that's highly unlikely. Um, However, uh, we will see more fallout from this particular incident in football, this unseemly incident in football, uh, with regards to uh, what happens just here in the English Premier League. And... um, I think, Duncan, we've got to ask questions now about the ownership of certain clubs. Um, certainly the Glazers, um, whom have never sat well with most Manchester United fans. I also hear that uh, Fenway Sports Group um, are under pressure from Liverpool fans for what now is a series of gaffes on their part with regard to not comprehending, understanding uh, and being empathetic to the traditions of Liverpool Football Club in their pursuit of greater wealth. So, yeah, I think this is going to run for quite some time uh, and anyone who thought that the uh, 72-hour disintegration or as Spanish league president uh, Javier Tebas said, it was a nice metaphor, It's it was like sugar melting in a cup of coffee
0: look I, I think the degree of division between the six and the 14 in the Premier League can't be understated um, talking to people who, who know what has been going on in, in these meetings and the, and the fight over um, revenue how much of the Premier League revenue goes to the big six clubs who argue that they create most of the value um, it took a long, long time, I think 12 um, votes before uh, Richard Scudamore could convince the 14 to allow the big six to have a preferential share of the overseas television rights, something they, uh, they felt uh, should no longer be shared on an equal basis as, as they had been originally uh, and through the estuary. Of the Premier League, um, you have Project Big Picture, where they put Rick Parry up to uh, to put a proposal together for the reorganisation of English football that would have benefited the EFL, but which would have damaged the 14 clubs. And uh, no one put their um, voice to that amongst the Big Six, and Parry was left hung out to dry. Um, but part of the resolution of was that would there was there. That there would be a strategic review of the Premier League operations with the expectation on the Six's part that um, concessions would be made, more revenue, more control would go to them, that they would uh, change the voting system so that uh, it wouldn't be possible for the 14 to always block everything the, the Six wanted to do or enforce things upon the Six that the Six didn't want, such as. Um, the three substitution rule for this season, which, if you listen carefully to Pep Guardiola when he was railing against the Super League, I think he was almost more angry that the Premier League uh, rump had forced him to work with three substitutes rather than five substitutes during the COVID period, than um, than he was about uh, what Abu Dhabi uh, Ferran Soriano and uh, Chiki Bergiristan had committed. Manchester City to do. Um, and I think Guardiola made a good point during that press conference in which he said, everyone is out for themselves in this game. Everyone looks after themselves, which, which I think you also see echo- echoed in Alexander What well, One day after he's calling people snakes and liars, Uh, going out of his way to praise Manchester City for thinking again and coming back into the European fold and issuing a statement in which he said, Manchester City are a real asset for the game and I am delighted to be working with them for a better future for the European game. This is the Manchester City that his organisation, UEFA, had found guilty of multiple serious breaches of the basic competition rule of the Champions League and handed down a ban and a record fine to. Just a few months before, there I don't. You have better evidence of how this is about power, and how allies and alliances will shift as it suits the people who have control. And you know who had Chefferin done a deal with to uh, to help get the Super League finished. He'd done it with Qatar, another club who have um, struggled to comply with financial fair play and been involved. Um, through paris saint-germain and and various operations that uh, that have upset um many people in european football so there is still a big divide here but let's look at it from the perspective of the American investors um we know that Stan Kroenke, um, his son josh cronkey who 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 Put out a hilarious apology, I thought, to um, Arsenal supporters yesterday, including a, a line that I think you could have taken straight out of a film like Meet the Fuckers. Um, if ever there was a plank on the Bridge of Trust or no planks on the Bridge of Trust, I'm here to start trying to build that trust again. That's one of the things he said in the, what was in a pretty embarrassing meeting with Arsenal supporters. Family Sports Group, our consortium who invest in sports, the Glazers are a family who have taken hundreds of millions out of Manchester United. Um, We see from the behaviour of the Glazers that what's important to them is being in the Champions League, taking their uh, dividends and director's fees out of the club, not in investing their own personal money or even all of the resources that Manchester United generate by themselves in chasing a Premier League title and seriously chasing Premier League title and seriously chasing Champions League title. What did the Super League mean to them? It meant you move to an American, basically an American structure where their clubs are guaranteed entry, where the revenues increase by perhaps three to four times immediately. And therefore the valuations of the clubs they own increase by perhaps two, three times overnight, um, guaranteeing substantial profits to every one of them. Now, the Glazers are already in a position where they can sell Manchester United and make uh, a huge profit. FSG, similar, they bought Liverpool on the cheap. It's now probably talking to experts in the area. They think even after the Super League setback, you're looking at one to one and a half billion uh, as a sales price um, for Liverpool, perhaps one and a half billion to two billion pounds as a sales price for Manchester United. What they probably have to calculate now is they do not get the Super League. They will keep working for it, but they do not get the Super League for perhaps five years, maybe longer. So that mountain of uh, valuation bump that they thought they had in their hands, and these people were extremely confident that the Super League was going to happen, has been taken away from them. They've been met with an intensity of protest from across the game that they've never experienced before. They've been picked out by people who are currently um, some of their most important clients, such as Sky, as enemies of the game. Um, If you can get out now with a profit and invest your money in other areas um, in a period in which there is a lot of economic opportunity because economies are being restructured post-pandemic, do you take that opportunity? Do you sell? get out of a sport that you're not interested in as a sport, you're in it as a money-making exercise, invest your money elsewhere, rather than um, having waited for uh, the bump of the Super League and selling post-Super League. I think that, and if you talk to people who are involved in the selling of uh, football clubs and have been for for many years now, they they expect at least one of the American owners to um, start, putting their club, if not openly, discreetly on the market to see if they can find a buyer.
1: I'd say one last point on this, um, Duncan, as we've covered it uh, comprehensively. The perception of the fans of the owners as super-rich businessmen, uh, so let's just go through them, Sheikh Mansour, the Glazers, John W. Henry, Joe Lewis, stroke Daniel Levy, Roman Abramovich. Being so moneyed tends to give you protection from everything in the world because you can make every problem go away using money. And now they've come up against uh, something they didn't expect and that is public opinion, media opinion, even political opinion, shooting them down and to depriving them of what they wanted. And that's hard for them to take. It's even harder for them to say sorry, as we've seen from the pathetic apologies that have come out. And just a little aside, uh, I was told by a source very close uh, to Fenway Sports Group that there is a real sense of annoyance um, within FSG and Executive board at Liverpool, including John W. Henry and Tom Werner, that they believe that the the respect, which should be a two-way street, i.e., between the fans of the club and the owners, has been violated, because at the first sign of anything that they don't like, it's FSG out. You've betrayed us. You've sold the soul of our club, etc., etc. When their response, the response they would like to give, rather than have John W. Henry apologize on social media, is, hang on a minute, we just won you the first title in 30 years and this is how you treat us. That is just outrageous. How dare you? And we got your Champions League as well. So, you know, show a bit of respect to us. It's, you know, it's not a one-way street. And, of course, that in itself does not show any empathy nor comprehension of what football means to people in this country, especially working-class people whose support for their club has been handed down from father to son and daughter, and then again the same and the same and the same for over
0: 140 years. So, uh, look, they have quite a rap list, FSG, now. Um, (laughs) £77 match tickets at Anfield, uh, trying to copyright the name of the city in which they're based, Mm -hmm. uh, furloughing post-Covid being one of the first clubs to try and furlough staff post-Covid, all of those resisted by the supporters and and, uh, and forcing FSG to back out. And then the Super League, which is, as you say, had John Henry doing uh, these social media apologies and trying to take all the blame on himself, um, which, I mean, you have to credit Henry for that strategy of trying to deflect any attention from other people in his group um, and other people at the club—that is actually the intelligent way of of doing it. So it, it was all my fault. It was all my idea. None of none of the people that work with me, none of the other investors in the group um, wanted this to happen. Uh, so yeah, it, and I, I don't, they already lost one sponsor as well. I, a very minor over, over sponsor, and there's a question over but whether still. they actually have <laughs> stepped away or whether they were using it for uh, social media attention. But look. Liverpool supporters um, have a line which they won't let on- owners cross over. And I think it, it's, um, it's probably harder for the FSG than, than some of these other clubs. I mean, we, we know very well how Manchester City uh, supporters have rallied behind Abu Dhabi and will actually defend, some of them will defend the actions of an of a anti-democratic regime. Um, because they believe that uh, they're being uh, um, unfairly criticised uh, by external powers, um, mainly someone called Duncan Castles. <laughs> I think there are there, there are plenty of <laughs> plenty of people who uh, object to the way Abu Dhabi have used Manchester City for their um, for their personal ends and broken. Let's remember, broken the rules of every uh, football association they they play uh, games under. Um, so yeah, that that is relevant. Another area where things are could could cause fundamental change in European football is in, in Serie A, where um, Andrea Agnelli, who is one of the leading architects of the Super League proposal, I'm told that his future as president of Juventus is in question. Um, the real power uh behind the throne, John Elkin, who's the chief executive of the company that owns Juventus, I'm told is, is currently making a decision on whether Agnelli has to be removed as president. Um, the favorite to replace him is another cousin of the pair of them. they're, they're related to each other, um, Alessandro Nazi. Um, the difficulty for Juventus is in they they're in a very delicate stage, regardless of the of the super League. They're f- battling to retain fourth place. Uh, they're just two points ahead in fourth place and um, have finances that are in terrible shape at present. They cannot afford uh, to be out of the Champions League, ironically. Uh, and um, Agnelli may have to fall on his sword for this. And and people in Italy have noted that Agnelli has not apologised for what he did um, and is still talking about the Super League as being a beautiful idea. Um, so the repercussions of this go all around the sport.
1: Back to the Premier League now, Duncan, and you have some news on Wolves and a possible managerial change at Molyneux.
0: Yes, we, we told you in previous podcasts that um, Wolves have issues going into next season um, that they are trying to find buyers for their three most valuable players um pedro neto which is now probably going to be very difficult given the the serious injury he suffered recently ruben neves and adama traore um they're doing that because their owners um are not able to put as much money into the club as they have been in the past and that's not because the company Fosun's finances are in trouble but because there has been a general order in China that investment in football should be reduced. Um, We also mentioned that Nuno Espirito Santo's future at the club was in question um, and that Nuno was uh, looking to see if another job was available elsewhere. I think Nuno feels he has done excellent work at Wolves and I think it's hard to argue with that, um, but has probably taken them as far as he can take them at present given the the change in circumstances and and given that they... Have to sell um, to reinvest in the team. And they, do, they have quite a long list of areas in which they want to recruit this summer, but the priority at present is to raise cash. If he does leave, I'm told that um, the former Benfica coach, Bruno Lage, has been lined up as the replacement. Um, he as young, 45 next month, he won the Portuguese title in his first season as Benfica coach. Um, had an extraordinary start in his time there, winning the first 18 of his of uh, his initial 19 um, Portuguese league matches. He was named coach of the year. Um, presently, I think, uh, promoted Jean-Felix from the... Uh, the B team that he'd been in charge of into the first team and and gained the benefit of that um, was actually close to moving to English football last summer. Uh, he'd been lined up as Dean Smith's replacement at Aston Villa uh, I understand a contract had actually been signed but the news of uh, Smith's replacement with Laj was late and the supporter reaction was such that uh, they had to back out of that move but that's uh, that's what I'm hearing has been lined up. It's dependent on Nuno leaving, dependent on him finding a another club. But if he does go, then there'll be a replacement Portuguese coach at Wolves next season.
1: Interesting stuff, Duncan. Uh, Manager on merry-go-round already starting to uh, its engine and beginning to get those uh, managers on the horses. Of course, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of hype about something called the Oscars going on uh, in the next few days when, of course, everyone who listens to the Transfer Wonder podcast knows the real award is the donkey and the one that's coveted more than anything throughout the world certainly in football world anyway. Uh, We've managed uh, to not actually award a donkey because we've had such good guests in the last couple of uh, Friday podcasts. But as it's just donkey and I today, and we've had so much chat about all of the good stories that are going on, we're going to give you the donkey award. And this week it will be for the most unbelievable PR blunder in football on the back of ESL's uh, ridiculously... Um, ill-timed and ill-thought-out announcement last Sunday night at 11pm followed by well, nothing really, except the whole thing disintegrating before the rise. Just going to open the golden envelope. Duncan, give, him, give me a wee second here. This one actually came from the Oscars um, surplus shop, by the way. They sell them when they don't need so many. Go on. There we go. There we go. Okay, Duncan, the first uh, and very, very strong contender is Ed Woodward for briefing into the media that he doesn't believe in the ESL, and that's why he is leaving Manchester United, which has caused much guffawing amongst fans, media, and pundits alike. The second, and we've mentioned this one already in the pod as well, was Liverpool's attempt to trademark the city of Liverpool as an as FSG property, um, which again is hilarious given how long Liverpool has existed and how long FSG has existed and the fact that they're an American company. And the third and one of my favourite, more historical ones is uh, the great Pierre van Hoydonk, um, who you will remember played both at Celtic and also uh, in England for some 10 years. But when it's Celtic, uh, he was offered a pay rise on a new contract, which would have earned him. And remember, this is back in the late 90s, £7,500 a week. And uh, in a statement, he said, it's an insulting offer that's not even enough for a homeless person. Given Celtic's humble background and their beginnings, That was probably the most insulting thing any Celtic player could have ever said. So a PR blunder, well, more of a PR disaster. Duncan, please give us
0: your winner. Yeah, that Van Hooyd one's pretty special. Um, I think Ed Woodward is saved by the fact he hasn't actually said this stuff on record yet. But trying to copyright the name of a city um only uh, a group of american owners would uh, would try and do something like that and particularly in a city like liverpool so the pr gaff uh award goes to fenway sports group an excellent choice and i'm sure they will give
1: us more gaffs uh, if they decide to stick it out um given the as you call it the rap sheet they already have now if you uh, want to um Give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be very helpful. And uh, it means you like what we do. Also, you can contact us on social media at Transfer Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan is on at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at Garbo SJ on Twitter. Please engage. You know we love to hear from you on YouTube. Just turn on your notifications. This has been the news before it becomes news on the Transfer Window podcast. We'll be back with you next week. And until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.